It began as a routine assignment. Transylvania. Where is that? I don't know. It's over there someplace. But beneath the surface... Transylvania's cute. cute. ...of this happy land, ah. terrible secrets ah. lurk in the shadows. Whoa! I'm terribly sorry. We thought you were an animal. He is. They are the creatures of the night. Shut up, you lowlife! I am low. I'm low. The curse of the undead. Uh, Tell me you want me to. <laughs> the terror of the full moon. <laughs> oh, yeah, I'm going into death. And the monster that science created. Full house. Uh, Jeff Goldblum. Mm -hmm. Ed Begley Jr. Hi, ladies. For a good time, call. Transylvania 6, 5,000. <laughs> it's good, huh? I started growing hair. It grew. It grew. It wouldn't stop growing. Them so fast you can't even talk about it. It was a fucking bloodbath. It's good, huh? I almost fell to my knees and just started growing up right there. You got lust in your eyes and in your black heart. Don't be a nudge. What kind of disgusting, despicable, despicable. Lack of respect. Get away from there, you, you fool! You, you stupid idiot! No! You idiot! No, I'm telling you, expect the unexpected in the kingdom of the madness! I'll be nude come back. Nude? Meet your nightmare, yeah! I got people stopping at my house. <laughs> They're saying... They're saying, how can you go against Andretti and T3? And I said, f*** you. The players of glory in Los Angeles. Will you stop? I don't know. This is Stone Cold E.T. And I want to order a couple cheeseburgers. And that's the bomb line. Good evening, everyone. It is midnight on the coast. You're in the right place at the right time. Either here with us tonight because you can't sleep or because you don't want to. In the spirit of the great George Knapp, this is Andretti After Dark. Blasting out of the Verdugo Mountains like a Scirocco. Slamming into your radio like a supercharged nanoparticle of unobtainium. Greetings from the media capital of the world. The home base of entertainment giants. Maybe you've heard of some of them. Like Warner Brothers, the Walt Disney Company, NBC Universal, and the Automotive Garage of undefeated WCW wrestler Jay Leno. My new humble place of residence, Burbank, California. And my name is Justin Andretti, your occasional host, designated driver of the airwaves, and moderator of tonight's upcoming cacophonous cavalcade of conversation. And boy, do we have one for you tonight. As always, I am here alongside South Central Pennsylvania's number one, legend of the Podski, legend of the Friday Night Lights, the man with the raspberry beret and the little red Corvette, Teddy Mongoose. Mongoose, how we doing out there? What a introduction, because if you did not know, this weekend is Corvette Carlisle. And while I reside in parts unknown, I may or may not be close to the area in which this car show takes place. And up, down, left, right, all over the place, I've seen dozens of Corvettes in the last 24 hours. 
So having the little red one, pocket full of Trojans, uh, horse or pocket full of horses, Trojans, some of them used, I believe was the line there Saturday night. I guess that makes it all right. I said, what have I got to lose? What an introduction, especially for the recording time here. So happy to be here. Thank you very much. Yeah, absolutely. So always happy to always happy to have you here. So we are extremely excited to have a guest here tonight that is someone that I have always loved and appreciated, someone who has been an inspiration for my own sense of humor since I was a little kid. And although the three of us are all comedy geniuses, uh, tonight we are covering a local story to Western Pennsylvania, Cambria County in particular, that not many folks are aware of. It is a story as sad and tragic as it is shocking, some very odd encounters and coincidences, and also some unfortunate parallels here to a later story, the 1959 mass murder of the Clutter family in Holcomb, Kansas, which was, of course, covered in Truman Capote's work in Cold Blood. We are going to be talking about the untimely murders of Polly Paul and her 17-year-old apprentice, Cassie Monday. And with that, let's assume the position Bring in the dog and the cat, put on a fresh pot of joe, light a candle, slide into your best jammies and your best nightcap, get in a comfy spot, turn down the lights, and turn up the radio. In a moment, we travel to Cambria County, June 7th, 1865. It would claim the souls of two innocent people and forever change the lives of many others. We are going to take a break right here. Doug and the slugs lead us into the break with making it work. amazing vacation getaway right there in the Laurel Highlands. Look, we all know, getting everybody on board, on the same page, budgeting, it can be a real hassle to plan the perfect family outing, or maybe even a little romantic getaway. And boy, have we got one for you, a destination that will please the entire family. Have you heard about the best kept secret in Cambria County? And to be honest, it might even be Somerset County. We don't know! Thousands of adventures await in Mine 42, conveniently located right outside of major tourist destinations like Wimber and Elton. I can't think of a place I'd rather be than Mine 42 right now. They got that sweet 90 degree turn right there in downtown, a roller hockey rink at walking distance, and their own exclusive club too. Hey, maybe if you ask them nicely, you can join up too. But endless escapades will await just outside of town in the Orange Lakes, full of mine runoff, and no two experiences swimming in those lakes will ever be alike. You're probably going to come away with some kind of debilitating ailment, but what if you don't? What if you come away with something so beneficial to your everyday life, like a third eye or two additional arms to help carry groceries into your house? And the deals you're going to get at Bilo and Wimber, brother, you're going to need all four of them arms. So come on out to Mine 42 today and see what all the fuss is about. This message is brought to you by Mind 42 Tourism Bureau. Mind 42! Uh, Mind 42 is a calling to you, yeah! Welcome back. Our guest tonight is my cousin, a thorough fella for sure, the author of the book In Time, The Killing of Pauly Paul, which is available on Amazon. Local hotshot dentist, Dr. Paul Petrunik. Doctor, how are you? Uh, fine. And I'd like to say uh, uh, thank you for inviting me. Um, I'm happy to be here. 
But of course, at my age, I'm happy to be anywhere. So we'll just <laughs> leave it that way. I don't know. But anyhow, fire away. Yeah, I mean, look, before we even before we even get into it, I just want to say one thing real quick. So, you know, one of one of my favorite things about being a kid, you know, in addition to going uh, to Liberty Park all the time, which which you and I are have right. spent thousands and thousands of years and hours <laughs> over the course of our lives. You know, one of my favorite things growing up was always just going to going to your house and hanging out with the boys and just watching the same couple movies thousands of times over and over again man and one of one of those being transylvania six five thousand which, which everybody heard in the trailer at the beginning of this episode uh, you know when you when you and i uh paul started talking about doing the show um i went back and watched that movie again which okay. is which is also on amazon and it's it is every bit as great as it was in the 80s and i have i have two really quick you know funny things i wanted to say about that so a couple you're gonna you're gonna love this so a couple years ago um me and the wife were we we went out to get breakfast um in studio city where we were living at the time and i looked over and sitting at the table next to us by himself i I mean i'm talking like maybe maybe like eight to ten feet away (laughs) is is ed begley jr and i'm telling you man i i i (laughs) was thinking about you the whole time (laughs) and i paul i almost did it man i almost just 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 leaned over to that guy and said don't be a nutch (laughs) right right into his ear dude my wife was mortified she said (laughs) over and over do not say that to ed begley jr and i chickened out and didn't do it man (laughs) well i still watch movies like the wrong guys caveman uh you know all those kind of pandemonium with sure. Pee Herman. uh so i still do that kind of stuff gee <laughs> the, uh, the, yeah the second story i have was a really quick one so it's i was talking to teddy about this a couple of days ago how just how stupid and how funny it is that as as time goes by the the length of time that you believe something goes longer and longer right so and, and it's it's lies a lot of time it's just lies so you know for for 40 years i thought that the monster in transylvania 65000 was played by lee majors and okay. that is that is absolutely not lee majors <laughs> and i i saw that i looked up the cast uh, after i watched that the other night and i was laughing so hard because for for 40 years of my life i thought that i thought the fall guy was the was the guy who was sitting there being that monster? It never made any sense to me, but I just was lying to myself for four decades. <laughs> oh man, jeez! So I I had to say two things that that uh, really sort of you know synchronicities in the world. I have never seen Transylvania six five thousand. Okay, right. but to your own my definitely. daughters. But yeah, you're probably right. But my daughter's favorite. Uh, Bugs Bunny short or whatever you'd like to say cartoon yeah. is literally called Transylvania six five thousand, and it is the one where he, Bugs Bunny ends up in Pittsburgh, Transylvania instead of Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, um, and then that's the one with the um, pokers, pokers. Do you know what I'm talking about with like the the blocks and all that? Um, and so, holy cow, like whenever he, whenever, uh, Andretti first started to, um, and this is a couple of days ago when we were getting ready for this and he was 
name drop in Transylvania 65,000. At first, I seriously thought it was like, oh my gosh, she's talking about this Bugs Bunny cartoon. That's awesome. And then, no, it was a, it was a whole separate movie. Um, but the second thing, and I just need to say this, uh, Paul, I'm, I'm probably going to take you by surprise here. I don't think that you're ready to hear what I'm going to say, but I think the statute of limitations has passed. Um, I may have, I may have drank an alcoholic beverage or two with your uh, with your youngest oh, son. Okay, <laughs> we, we 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 may have we may have shared a beverage or two. Um, and I'll tell you what, man, I've I've heard about this story for yeah well over a decade. Um, I was fortunate enough to sneak my way in there uh, into the uh, into the Petrunic residence over a couple of either uh, Thanksgivings or Christmases um, in the early uh, or mid 2010s ish. Whenever the um, and, and I know that you had noted that uh, that that the misses would make you clear off the table at that time with the research and everything, yeah, but right. I was able to have a little peek into there to see oh. you know see a little bit of the madness. Oh, um, yeah. Yeah, and so the fact that I actually, first off, got a chance to go through the work is awesome. And then to have a chance to really, you know, sort of pick your brain and go through all of this. Like, I, I can't tell you how excited I am, man. Like, this is really, really cool. So thank you again for coming on. This is wonderful. Sure, I'll enjoy it. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> I, I, the, the number one thing, I the, the top the top thing I had on my on my list as we start to get into this right now, which is I, I really wanted to just thank you for this. I mean, and thank you for how this book is laid out. I mean, it's, it's so concise and there's no fluff. And I really appreciate as a reader, just the, the, the whole approach of just the facts. I mean, it, it you, you can read through this thing pretty quick. It's, uh -huh. it's a captivating story that just leads it. It flows really easily. And, you know, uh, we look, we've all read, history books and we've read you know accounts of certain periods in time you know world war ii or the civil war or whatever where wow. you know it takes you a month to read the book right but i really respect and appreciate the fact that you put so much effort into this and we're still able to come out with a book that made so much sense and just flowed so easily and yeah. was so easily digestible to anybody that just wanted to hear that story a lot of people tell me that and they say it just it was such an easy read and uh the hey i i was the one that got c's in english all through high school and when i had to take a couple english courses at upj again i didn't get a's i got c's and i i don't know where i got the gumption to go ahead and and write a book at age 69 to boot but uh somehow it it just came it just flowed it just, I just was able to write it. And I was happy with how it turned out. Sure. Uh, so gee whiz. So how, tell, tell, I know you said a little bit in the book about how this all started, but, but walk us through kind of what the, what the initial spark was for you with this story and, and kind of take us along the journey here about the process and in, in, in the research. Okay. Well, my, one of my boys, I had five boys. One of my boys was dating a girl from Mineral Point. And we got to be friends with their with her parents. So anyhow, as we got to know them, her parents told us that they had a ghost in their house. So I thought that sounds fascinating. I asked them, would you let me research your house to see if we could find out who it was? They would always see a young girl walking through their kitchen. 
they would look upstairs in the stairway to the second floor and she'd be sitting on the stairs. So like this was fascinating to me. So anyhow, they said, yeah, go ahead. We'd like to find out who it is. So I went ahead, started doing research. I did all the deed things. I did all the census records of the people that might have lived in the house. And one night while I was doing some research looking for a ghost, I found a newspaper clipping about two women that were murdered in New Germany, near where I grew up. And I never even heard of the story. I mean, it's, it's remarkable that we grew up in that area and we have no idea. Nobody ever heard of it. Even the people that have been reading it, they just never heard the story. So anyhow, it was about two women murdered. The, the older woman uh, had her own farm. She was never married. And she would have girls come to her house to learn how to work the loom. So she always had an apprentice with her, living sure. with her. You know what really what really jumped out too, like going through this at the, at the beginning, especially at the beginning was just the names. Just yeah. how many how many of the last names of all of these people in this book are still such such yeah. prevalent last names today. Sure. All their family members were still living in the area. The Schrifts, the Bowden Schatzes, all that. Crazy. And uh, sure. Um uh, so anyhow, I went ahead and uh, started researching just for my own personal enjoyment. Yeah. A Polly Paul story. What so tell, tell us, I know you had some help with some people you really, uh, you know, gave a lot of credit to in the book were um, Chris Werfel and Glenn Alexander. Do you want to tell oh. us a little bit about those two? Yeah. Glenn Alexander was the great, great grandson of Isaac Paul, who played a part in my book. And, uh, and Chris Werfel is a young lady that grew up in Mundy's Corner, I believe. But anyhow, I just met her online randomly, and she started to help me do a little bit of the research. So I did have some some help, uh, people help that were researching with me. And uh, so anyhow, I did. I started doing a lot of research, and I just keep kept finding it fascinating. And uh, the more I researched, the more I found out about the story. And uh, pretty soon I collected a lot of stuff. So I thought maybe I'll write a little newspaper article or a magazine article about it. But it ended up, it was just, I just had to write a whole book. So that was the, that was it. So where, where is, just for people that are outside the area that don't really know much about the, the geography and the landscape, where, tell us a little bit about the area where we're at and where the Pauly Paul Farm is located. Okay. Well, if anybody's from Cambria County, you would know where Summerhill is. And uh, Summerhill runs from 219, runs from Summerhill to Evansburg. Well, when you're coming south, from Evansburg toward Johnstown, uh, when you get about two miles above Summerhill, you can see the old foundations on the right side of 219. And naturally, when I started doing research, I had Mr. Alexander take me to the old farm because he knew where it was. And we used to go every June, every June 7th, we used to go and, and visit the Visit the farm where the murder took place. Sure, and uh, so that's how that's how I really got interested in it. 
Well, what, I mean, what was that like? I mean, go going there, going there to the to that place. I mean, what was that like for you? Just just kind of knowing the story. Isn't that something? Yeah, I, there was a fa- they had a, a spring house, a farm, a barn, and a house. And uh, you prayed it around in there and imagined where the bodies were found. And it, it was uh, it was really interesting. So I couldn't let I just couldn't stop where I was. Sure. I just kept writing. Well, are you familiar at all? And this is going to be as out of left field as possible. I'm probably going to knock Andretti over by even bringing this up. But are you familiar at all with like with the term geomancy or uh, anything related to um, like the topography and locations of an area, uh, specifically things dealing with the names that have been given to different either cities or landmarks or valleys, rivers, sort of having like this like esoteric, you know, even supernatural kind of influence on events are you familiar with that at all well i I never heard that term before but i i think that that Polly paul and cassie mundy sought me out to do this book the way things fell in my lap i thought i said to my wife i i think i'm being told to do this i thought they were bringing me into the fold and they were making me do this story. And if it, all the information I kept getting was falling into my lap. And uh, I kept thinking, you know what? They want me to do this. And it sounds stupid. It sounds weird. It, but it, look, there's there's a couple of things in this story that that have just some really strange, whether you want to call them divine intervention or whatever it is, there's some really strange occurrences to happen here. And and really quick, Paul, to just sort of echo that sentiment before you continue, it the fact that you were able to get everything from the initial newspaper uh, write up to then tie up into the trial transcript and everything to go through all of that stuff from something that was not known by people in the area. That was 150 years ago or whatever. Of course, that, that, that doesn't happen by accident. And so that's, I'm, I'm, when you say that, like I meant to be, or people telling you, or things are allowed to happen, you got me all in your corner here. You know what I mean? Like, and, and that was the only reason I even asked about the geomancy thing is that I really am going to see what I can do just as far as a little bit of, of digging around with local like names and areas and things, because that geomancy thing, the place that I had first heard that was actually in relation to JFK, because there was a whole bunch of interesting little, you know, if you want to call them like coincidences or whatever, but like the names of certain rivers or valleys or whatever, they all sort of like tied together to this like, heinous act and i'm just interested to see if if that would if there's if there's a layer to peel back there because as you said as, as how uh easy all this came together i wonder if we couldn't find another piece of the puzzle in that way so it, go ahead i know the night i found the newspaper clipping it was a wednesday night i'm always off thursday so i stay up a little late it was about 1 30 in the morning and i'm just skimming around the cambria county history site 
and I came across the newspaper article. Why? How? Why in the world did it happen to me? Like, how, how have we not come across that fifty-five times on fifty-five different sites? You know, I if, if if I wouldn't have been up that night and on online, I, if I wouldn't have found the newspaper clipping, I would have never known about it. But it seemed like I was drawn to it, or it was drawn to me. As if somebody wanted me, you know, somebody's got to investigate this. And so I wonder if I had uh, some help from either Polly Paul or Cassie Mundy. And uh, I always believed that I was, I was, I I don't say I was born to do this, but I was drawn into it. And uh, that's what happened. It was like weird. I mean, it's crazy how sometimes that kind of stuff happens in life where things just things just fall into your lap or everything lines up or whatever. As I was doing my research and I was reading old newspapers on on microfilm in the Cambria County Library, I kept finding stories about certain things. And it was like they were making it easy for me to find. And uh, I say in my book that there was a... uh, that Polly Paul and Cassie Mundy often come to the place where they died and they are visited by somebody named Nelson. And uh, he was a boy that drowned in Summerhill and he was 14 years old. When when was that? Uh, In 1929, no, 1903, July 20th, like 1903. He lived on Nelson Road up above summer going toward uh, Fishertown and uh, he and his brother went swimming on a July 20th summer day and he drowned under the railroad there's a railroad arch nearest Rita's restaurant and he drowned underneath that arch that's crazy and, yeah and uh, so he was 14 years old he's buried in a Summerhill cemetery and all I heard was uh, a woman who saw, who was a psychic who visited Polly Paul at that at her farm, heard that she they're visited by a, a just now they call him Nelson. Well, that was his last name. So, what's he doing with the two the two women? They, it's what I mean. What a that's yeah. insane. That's crazy. Yeah, that's crazy. So okay, so Polly Paul. Um, do you want to tell us a little bit about kind of what her backstory is and how she gets to the area and, and how Cassie Mundy kind of gets into, into, uh, under her care for lack okay. of a better term. Okay. Um, she, uh, she was born in Hanover in York, York County, I believe. And, uh, eventually her family moved West and they ended up in, in Summerhill Township, which was Croyle Township. But back in those days, it was still part of Summerhill Township. And uh, so um, she ended up not getting married. She was seventh of of 12 children. And uh, so she bought a piece of land from her brother, Isaac, and made and built a farm. She had her. It was after her her mother had passed away, correct? Yeah, and, and dad passed away. She bought a piece of the farm, which went to her brother, Isaac. So anyhow, her claim to fame was she was an expert weaver, you know, with a loom. You know? And so 
uh, she was so good at it that she gave girls a chance, like on a one-year apprenticeship. She, the, she, the girls would stay at her house. They would help with the farm work, and uh, they would they would help with the farm work in exchange for lessons on how to do weaving. So, did, so was that, it was it uh, they were just helping with the workload, or yeah, in exchange yeah. for the apprenticeship, or yeah. were they actually yeah. paying her money to do this? No. No, they they she would train them how to do the weaving in exchange for feeding the chickens and milking the cows and churning the butter. In other words, she she was by herself, so she needed somebody just for company. I mean, she was there all day long by herself, and now she had a girl, you know. So she she had several girls over the years, and Cassie Mundy was the one that happened to be living at her house. The day the two men came to the to yeah, the farm. and one of the one of the former apprentices ended up being the the uh, the future wife of one of the people who ended yeah. up uh, you yeah. know possibly committing this crime, which is That's which is right. a crazy coincidence. Yeah, a previous apprentice married a guy who ended up at Western Penitentiary in Pittsburgh, and they met Hauser and Boozer in prison. So it's crazy. And he told them about an old woman who lived on a farm in the middle of nowhere and that she was since she was single she probably had a lot of money because she never had a man that would drink her money away so they that that apprentice's husband told Hauser and Boozer how to get to Camry County how to get to Polly Paul's place and they went when they got out of jail eventually they went there to rob the woman but something went wrong and they murdered her in order to get the money. You know, that's what happened. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's where it sounds so much like in cold blood. I mean, that, you know, yeah. the, these people, they, these, these criminals are in, they're in prison and they start talking to each other and, and now they've got a plan. And once they get out, here we go. Yeah. Paul, Paul, was that, is that Fulgert that, that was the one with the, um with, that married the apprentice, the former president apprentice. Yeah. Philip Fulgert's wife, was an apprentice at Polly Paul's when she was younger. So the wife knew about her condition. And then the husband learned from the wife, who was an apprentice. And then when he ended up being in jail for arson, he met Hauser and Boozer in, in Western Penitentiary. Right. And so that's and what happened. Yeah, Philip Fulgard. And I'm going I'm to tell you this, Paul. And, and I know that I know we're going... I'm, and I'm going to let Andretti go chronologically here, so I'm not going to do anything crazy. But it is insane to me, and this is a really big credit to you as the author, because I only know this story through your lens. Uh-huh. But we were presented, the way that this story is presented, it is, oh, my gosh, like, how are we not arresting these people? And then it's, Oh, we have them. Absolutely. They're guilty. Don't even put them on trial. And then it's, wait a minute. Wait, 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 wait a minute. And then at the end of the story, I, I think my brain just leaked out of my ears. Okay. And so um, I, I just, I can't wait to get further into this because the fact that, that you already have brought up the two of the names and then, and then the, uh, you know, the, the informant or the, whatever it was, to them um is wonderful so andrea you go ahead but i needed to compliment him on the actual 
arc of this story because I look, I guess if you have something this interesting, it almost writes itself. But that being said, um, the way that this is compressed into 95 pages and it's done in a way where I feel like I was so I was taken on a, on, on a up, down, up, down, left, right, twirl around, you know, sort of emotional thing through this. And I, I need to tell you again, Paul, that this thing's awesome. Uh, so you, you really did a great job here. And whether or not you had some help from above or beyond, below or beyond, <laughs> whatever it might be, um, this is this, the way that this is put together is excellent. So you go ahead, Andretti. Yes, I, I wanted to t- to talk. You know, before we get into Mary um, Stibolitsky, the f- the fourteen year old girl who who ends up, you know, hearing some things in the woods. I know you did a lot of research on this, so um, we've got we've got these three guys that are in Western Penitentiary in Pittsburgh. So, yeah. do you? What did you find in terms of what that prison was like at the time? In in is that is that penitentiary still in operation today, or has yeah, it been West- torn down? I, I'm sure Western Penn is still a a, a prison. Um, they uh, when they when they got arrested, they were robbing a they were robbing a clothing store in Pittsburgh, and they got arrested and were sent to jail, and that's where they went, Western Penitentiary. Now the prison was just an old, like an old prison, just cell after cell after cell, and you could talk to the people across the aisle. And you could talk to the people that were beside yourself. So one thing that happened was Hauser and Boozer were not in the same cell, but they were close enough. And in between them was Philip Fulgard. So Philip Fulgard, who grew up in New Germany, sort of, and his wife, you know, lived there too. They started shooting a bull and they, he tells them about an old lady who has a farm never had a man with her. She was never married. And uh, everybody said she was loaded. She had a lot of money because she never spent money. And that's so that's what happened. And so Hauser and Boozer thought, you know what? We're getting out of jail May of, uh, six, May of 1865. So they got out of jail and they both got out at the same time because they're they were arrested at the same time. They were together. And then straight away in June, if they got out in May, by June, they were in Cambria County. So, they but Boozer, the- Boozer's kind of the one that is, is kind of the leader of the two, right? Yeah, he was the, he was the, yeah, he was the, he was the brain of the operation. And Paul, uh, Paul, really quick. And I, I, just because I don't want to forget to ask, um, you did list the assets and things later on, like whenever you sort of did this summary of everything. In your opinion, or, or you know, from what you've gathered, was was she as wealthy as she was believed to have been by these two people, or or do like do you think that there's a chance that she was this sort of you know golden calf out out here alone, or or do you think that they were that they were a little misled because of you know, because of the, the, like you said, the prison bull just being shot around. Well, uh, Fulgart, whose wife lived with Polly Paul for a year, she knew about Polly Paul's financial, probably a lot of her financial stuff. So he's getting his information from his wife. 
So uh, when when they went to, when they went to Cambria County and and murdered her, when they come home, uh, Daniel Boozer wanted to put a five hundred dollar down payment on a house, and he didn't have any money to buy train tickets when he went to Cambria County. <laughs> really? so he comes home. Right. He comes home with all this money, so. They brought something home. Now, $500 in uh, 1865 was a lot of money. I couldn't know? imagine what yeah. what that conversion rate would be. Yeah, I don't know. I just, I just heard something in the last couple of days about 1960s dollars where, where like $100 or $114 or something was like seven or 800. Do you know what I mean? Like, like in today's money. So yeah. to to wind that clock clock back another hundred years, yeah. yeah, that's that that's Scrooge McDuck back then. Sure. So that's why I think they did come home with money, and uh, that's all I can say for sure. It, you know gotcha. what's crazy? What's crazy too is these guys get out of jail, they got to prison, and they just become amateur doctors. Yeah, They're which doing- is just wild to me to, to think that these guys are just just roaming the streets. Yeah. You know, doing the cupping and with the leeches yeah. or whatever, <laughs> and they're just they're just they just become amateur doctors. Sure. Well, even bar- barbers in those days would do cupping and leeching. If you went to get a haircut and they'd put a leech on you and take some blood out while you're here, uh, I mean, it wasn't probably brain surgery, but still, they would travel around and ask anybody if they wanted. Do you need a tooth out or do you need some blood let out? Or whatever, because that would make you feel better sometimes. If you have high blood pressure and you take out some blood, you don't have high blood pressure, at least for a few days. And uh, so that's what they did. And when they went to Cambry County, that's what they used to get into people's houses. You know, they came around and said, would you like any bloodletting? Do you need a tooth out? And then uh, that got them into a house where they could ask questions. Sure. Is there an old woman that lives around here? And they were very visible in the area, which oh, is what yeah. it, which is what is amazing to me too. You would think that if you're about to commit this this heinous crime, you might not want to might not want everybody in the town to know who you are. <laughs> or you'd be hiding around, you know. Or yeah, they just didn't seem to. They were just right out there in the public asking questions. So, so, so for, for, uh, Boozer, Paul, um, for Boozer, Boozer is the, he's the, you said he was the one that was the brains, correct? Right. Yep. So is he the one that was described as like the dark complected, shorter German accent? Was that him? They both were German accents. Okay. Yeah. But he was the one. Yeah. He was the one that was like you said. And the reason I was... And the reason I was asking is, I do I do know that uh, you know from my my entire you know half of my family is West End, Cambria City, all that stuff, uh, and so there's a lot of you know there's a lot of Polish pride, you know there's 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 Slovak, there's all that stuff, and you know especially with the um, the 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 you know the festival and everything that goes on there um in downtown Johnstown which folk fest oh my gosh if I if I didn't remember that I probably wouldn't be allowed back into town I um, so <laughs> so I the reason I bring that up is that 
because they had these accents and everything, that's that's not uncommon at this time, though, right? That doesn't make them really, like, stick out like sore thumbs. Yeah. Well, my dad, who came, my grandpa came from Slovakia in 1911. When my dad went to first grade, he didn't speak English. Gotcha. And he, so there he was, six years old, goes to South Fork grade school, didn't even speak English because his family spoke Slovak in home. They, they didn't know English. So they didn't teach him English. So he had to learn English on the fly because he wasn't taught any. But that's what's, that's what happens. People had German accents, you know, different things like that. Yeah, and, and that was something that because I know that you had noted that, and it was it was a question that I had because especially you know where that that Western PA area because of the industry especially that's around at that time where you have you know Pittsburgh and then you have Johnstown and then you have all of that where we're we're at the very very beginnings of like you know the industrial revolution and and people are starting to you know, really move in and settle. And then of course, you know, things will explode in the decades afterwards that that was one of the things that I wanted to ask you was that, did that German accent matter or was that really just sort of like, you know, just, just, oh, it's, it's a Wednesday and somebody in a heavy accent came to the house. So it seems like it was more of that. I think that people were used to people with accents. Gotcha. Gotcha. Yep. Like today, if someone had a German accent, you'd think, where is he from? Right. Yes. Think about it like this. Like there's, you've got tens of thousands of immigrants pouring into the area from all over Europe, you know, whether that's Western Europe, Eastern Europe, whatever it is to go work in the mines or work on the railroad. So you've got, you've got a, a, a heavy mix of ethnicities that are right there in the area. Well, you look at Cambria city, they had the Irish church, a German church, Slovak church, you know what I mean? Like they, people stuck with their, with their nationalities sort of. And right. uh, then sooner or later, they all sort of the mingle and mix, but you didn't even want your daughter. If you were German, you didn't want your daughter to marry an Italian. I mean, that's just the way it up. Cause sure. everybody had their own little, you know, thing. I, I, yeah, I yeah, felt yeah, like, yeah. you know, going through, going through the story again, it, it's, it stuck out to me that, the fact that that I believe it was Hauser was four foot eleven was probably more of an identifier, right, yeah. than it would have been for somebody with the German accent. Oh yeah, yeah, and 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 like a dark complexion, uh, and like he's like you said, somebody that's four eleven would stick out more than he spoke funny, you know. Sure. Yeah. So okay, so oh, we yeah, got four, we've got four really quick, really 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 but, quick four eleven. Yeah, like, that, uh, like I, that's 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 my it's mind blowing, man. Because what, you, you hear about like you hear about whenever people whenever whenever you have like the 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 science the science based like Bibletologists, and I think I just made up that term, but <laughs> but whenever they say that like David and Goliath, for example, could have feasibly happened because you know you had people that were shorter, and then you had some people that were taller and David could have been this, you know, four foot something and Goliath could have been, you know, NBA height. Um, I, I, it is, it is mind blowing when I, that was four foot 11 is crazy for that to be just, just somebody walking around at that point in time. 
Um, was there anything else that you could see as far as, because I'm glad you brought that up, Andretti. Paul, was there anything else that you saw as far as like, was that, ex- was that exceptionally small for that point in time? I, 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 well, you know what? George Washington was what? Six, three. And he stuck up. He, he stuck out like a sore thumb. Right. I mean, right. Three, my Jonathan was six, four and I never thought much of it, you know, but when somebody right. five foot two and that, uh, I'm not, that was not unusual. I don't think. And, I, and you think that it'd probably be a, a symptom of the fact that you don't have three true squares a day. You know what I mean? Like you're, you're basically, you're, you're, you're bound to what the chickens produced or you're bound to what you were able to till and and then make. So that, that probably has a lot to do with it too. Oh my, I'm sure. The guy's only 4'11". No wonder he didn't get killed in the civil war. All the bullets went over his head. Oh yeah. You know, Boozer, not Boozer, but Hauser walked around with those blue, those like sort of light blue soldier pants that they wore during the Civil War. Not like the Zouaves. They had they had that sort of a uniform with them. But he wore soldier pants, which they weren't just gray pants. They they probably stuck out and were more noticeable, too. And uh, if, if they had a goatee or all that stuff was probably recognizable. So we've got we've got 14 year old Mary uh, Stibolitsky is the one who ends up um, helping her father try to find two cows right during a storm. Sure. Well, he came home from work one day and he had two cows in a fence and the fence was knocked down. So somehow the fence came down, the cows got out. He calls Mary to come and can you go look for the cows? So she was 14. There was a couple of isolated farms around the area so she said okay i'm sure she didn't want to but you know she went out looking for two cows and when she approached the paul farm because she thought mary uh, um cassie monday's going to be leaving soon her term was soon up she said i'd like to see her again anyway so she headed straight for polly paul's farm and as she got near it she heard like a couple couple people howling like they they were in distress so she went closer to the house and looked and she saw two men dressed in black running back and forth from the barn to the house and barn to the house so she knew something was up something's crazy so she went home told her parents they said oh polly has cows for sale um they're probably they're probably butchers from pittsburgh or whatever i don't know but anyhow, uh, so they they did not go investigate on that night. But the next morning, after M- Mary Mary did her chores, she went to look because it bothered her all night that she was something was wrong. Well, she got to the farm and it was desolate. Cows were in the garden and no smoke was coming out of the chimneys. And she went back home, told her folks. They came back with her. And brought a couple people with them, other people from lo- local farms, and that's when they found the bodies. So it was about two in the afternoon. They found the bodies of the two girls, the you know Polly Paul and Cassie Mundy, and then that's what started. The, they went to get the Justice of the Peace, Joseph Myers, 
and uh, and that's what happened. They it's a hor- it's a horrible scene. What they find yeah. is 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 a yeah. horrible scene at the farm. They were they were beaten with with baseball bats basically, and uh, and so both women were were killed with clubs. Um, so anyhow, then they took the two bodies back. They took Polly Paul's body back into her house. They took Cassie Mundy's back to her dad's house and just left the bodies in the houses because funeral homes weren't even in, in vogue. When you had a funeral, people came to your house to see the body in the living room. Um, what a, so what any- a horrible scene for the, for that. Oh, I mean, you've yeah. got you've got the body of, of a 17-year-old girl yeah. who apprenticed on a loom. Yeah. And her parents, I mean, she's laying there, she's laying there dead in the same room as the, as the new loom that her mom and dad bought for her as a gift for completing the apprenticeship. I mean, it's just, just I thought that was sad. It's so sad. Yeah. The the dad bought the girl a a brand new loom to surprise her when she came home. Paul, Paul, really, really quick. That, that that was there's there's a couple of parts in this that are that are something you know, and it's you know, I I wasn't I, I wasn't fortunate enough to have to have the eight that you did, but the the one that I had is is a little girl, um, and to think, yeah, you know, just to think of something like oh, here's a new here's this wonderful opportunity, you're going to go and you're going to learn this. And we bought you this. And then, as you said, to be rested there, oh, I couldn't even imagine. Oh, I couldn't even imagine. And, you know, I I even felt sorry for Hauser and Boozer at the end because they were going to be hung. You know, they were going to be hanged. And even though they did a heinous act, even though they did something bad, I still had I still felt sorry for them when they walked up the plank and uh, put the put the caps over their heads with the, with the noose around them. And I had, I felt sorry for them too. But before... uh, and it's, and it, or, or I was just going to say, especially, especially whenever it's, whenever the, the, the people that are there to, to see your demise essentially is just like a little bit of media. Do you know what I mean? Like that's a, it's a, that's a, it, it sucks. That, that like, that's a really, really rough way to go. Go I... ahead there, Andretti. Yeah, but before before they even even come on, um, you know, Boozer and Hauser. I mean, the the police, of course, think that this is a local a local situation, right? So they go after um, two local yokels, which are Reem and Riddle, right? And, and I mean, those are those guys sound like the names of two guys on a morning show on a morning radio show. So they they end up being the ones that get that get targeted for this. Um, and it sounded like there was a, a an old woman in the area, uh, uh, Mrs. Sloniker, yeah. um, who was someone who kind of rat who kind of got the ball rolling with them, right? Yeah, John Ream was a bad egg his whole life. He was a troublemaker, you know, and he was already in Western Penitentiary for a couple years before um, Hauser and Boozer got there. So anyhow, he had a bad reputation for being a bad egg. And so, right, one of the first people they thought might have done it was Reem and his uh, his nephew or his cousin, who from Jefferson County. They said it was probably those two guys that did it. And uh, and what was funny about the whole thing was they arrested Reem and Riddle soon after the murder, 
And then a month later, they arrest Hauser and Boozer for the same crime, bring them both to the same jail, and they're both in jail at the same time for the same murder. You will never see that now. It's, it's crazy. It's crazy. So you, my- have, you have four people being tried for a murder that probably maybe two committed. Were you able to find anything else about the the, the Mrs. Sloniker and, and what she said? Because it just, it feels like she just kind of interjected herself into this, into this uh, investigation, right? One day they were, t- one day Mrs. Sloniker, Reeman Riddle and another guy were talking on a Sunday afternoon, just having a conversation and Polly Paul came up and Reem said, I'd like to have her pocketbook which meant she had a lot of money. And uh, uh, so Mrs. Sloniker says, well, why don't you marry her to get it? And uh, he said, she's too old and ugly to marry. I'd rather kill her and get it that way. And Riddle said, and Riddle said, I'll go in with you if you're going to do it. And so that led, that put a seed in somebody's mind that they might've actually done it. And so that's what Mrs. Sloniker said. And uh, now one thing I have two questions. Oh, go go ahead, Paul. You go ahead, and then then I'll jump in. I said one thing I can't, I couldn't get an answer for is when they came from Pittsburgh to Camry County. I'm not sure where they got off the train. You could have got off at Mineral Point and came up the hill. Do you ever come up that hill? Sure. From Mineral Point to Rose Hill. You know, on the way to Summerhill, or they could have got off in Summerhill. I never could find the answer of where they got off the train when they finally showed up at, at Cambria County. Yeah. So, because uh, that's why they said Hauser had sore feet. Hauser had sore feet when he got back to Pittsburgh. So he might have, they might have walked up that big hill, uh, you know to get from Mineral Point to Rose Hill, where West Road leads into. Sure. So I wasn't, I never could find out which path they took to get to Holly Paul's house. So. Hmm. So I have, I have two questions, Paul. The first one is, does Sloniker okay. get us to the Slonics? That that are that are in and around the the area now. Is there is there any is there any um you know uh, like is it one of those things where the name changes over time or is I mean, that there, and there's so many like we were saying there's so many yeah, names that are so similar to now. Off her name and right. go Sloniker to Slonic. You know what I mean? I don't know that. I never thought about that. Um, gotcha. That happened. People shortened their names and uh, did yeah. stuff like that. Well, well, there's, there's, uh, and, and, you know, there's one, one that I always heard about yeah, randomly was that, uh, DiBiase was changed into a bunch of different things from Wimber. Um, yeah. and so that was, that was sort of what made me think about that. Uh, so the other thing is you had mentioned about all poor people being in jail at the same time. And I'm not trying to step on Andretti's feet, uh, because I know that he's going chronologically, but. One thing that really stood out to me in, you know, reading through this was that uh, the attorney Noon 
okay. was very upset about not getting convictions yes. on the yes. Ream and Riddles. Right. But both of these people are being housed at the same time, or all four of these, I should say, both of these, you know, tag teams. So what, why do you think he was, I mean, aside from like professional pride, right. why do you think he was upset for not getting a conviction whenever there's probably two people that were slam dunk convictions still in the, still, still, still in, uh, still in cells? I thought the same thing. That's a great question. You know, he was working on the Ream and Riddle uh, trial as the two that did it before he found out about Hauser and Boozer. And then he went to the Western Pen and he interviewed different people, the, the warden and all that. So and tell, so tell that, us about, tell, so that leads us right into McCreary, this guy McCreary. That's where McCreary came in. And he interviewed McCreary and McCreary said, I heard them talking all the time about the chance of finding a, a, a widow with all this money in Cambria County. And, and that's why when, when McCreary heard that there was two people dead in Cambria County, he said to himself, I know who did it. I heard them plan it. Okay. And so that's where McCreary was interviewed by noon and uh, sure, and then they brought him to Cambria County to be a witness. You could not be a witness if you were a criminal. So that's why they pardoned him. So he was a free man when they, they left him out of prison so he would be able to testify. Because if he was a, a criminal in jail or a prisoner, he wouldn't have been allowed to testify. He was their star witness. Now, he was a he was a kind of a bad apple too. It sounded like. Yeah, he was. He had his troubles. He was in Western Penn two times before he was in the time that he met Hauser and Boozer. Yeah, so he was and, in and, three times. Three and times. Fascinating, fascinating. Really quick, Paul, just to make sure that this gets said, they didn't let him know that he was pardoned until after, right? Yes, because. They said he, if, if that would have happened and he knew he was getting free, that he would have testified, not because it was true, but just to get off, get off the hook. Sure. Yeah. Right. He would have been compromised yeah, in a he, way. That's right. So they, that was, right. a, that was a smart thing. Um, yep. Yeah. So going back to the fact that these guys, the, the two tag teams, as you said, you know, Hauser, Boozer, Ream and Riddle are all in the same the same you know jail at the same time. We're we're talking about a very small jail. This is They're a very small jail. What are they talking about? Did they talk to each other all day? How you know? could they not? Yeah, I mean you 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 got four cells, one person in each cell. They weren't double cells, so you had four people in the same cell block for six weeks. They were together and for, and for the same murder, and yet. What what were they, were they just say? Hey, what's going on? How are you doing today? Nice. I mean, weather. six six weeks. Those guys are together <laughs> in the, in that very it, tiny jail. I know. And yeah. I I have to say this really quick too. Uh, that so because of this situation, the other thing that I just thought was ex, like mind exploding is that the two people that we are assuming are falsely accused, right? also request separate trials for separate murders 
which then extends this out even further. You would think that because they, 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 they would be exonerated, they have alibis, they have everything else, that, that they would want this over as quickly as possible. And it is just a really weird thing yeah. that you're essentially signing up for more jail time to, to be detained throughout the process of four trials. I mean, so what do you Mongoose, think about that, that? That? I thought about I that. Like, I, yeah. I read through this again last night. I read the whole book again last night. Yeah. And, and I sat there last night again for the third time. This is the third time I did this. Uh-huh. I, I sat there trying to figure out what the hell the strategy was. Like what from 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 even like a lawyer standpoint? Why would you want to do that? Why would you even advise them to do that? You would think that if you were guilty doing one, you probably were guilty doing the other. But if you weren't guilty doing the one, you wouldn't be guilty doing the other. So why didn't you just get it over with, and then be a free man? So what happened then when they went back? Then they escaped from prison. You know what I mean? Yeah, they were they were found not guilty for for Paulie Paul. They, they had found. to stay there for three more months yes. until the trial of Cassie Monday, which is back. just insanity. After they were freed from the Paulie Paul charges, they went back to the jail until till October or December. I can't it was remember. December, yeah, December. Okay, it's never okay. So, what good did that do? And anyhow, in October, then. They escaped from prison. It's just, it's insanity. In other words, you would think, even if they didn't escape, why wouldn't they stay till November, stay till December? Because if you were free from one, 99 times out of 100, you'd be free for the other one. So instead, they risked going back to jail for breaking prison. And I, I never found out either if they were ever found. It's crazy. I could so never. One of, what the, my my theory on this part of this whole story is, you've got you've got these two sets of of, of suspects, right? That are right. in the same small, very tiny jail at the same yeah. time. You've got this guy Boozer, who later down the line tries to manipulate everybody through the Evansburg paper and everybody into getting sympathy for him. It seems it, to me, it feels like. Boozer probably concocted some kind of story where he was where he convinced Reem and Riddle they were right. going to be on the hook for the Monday murder, and they talked those guys into into breaking out or scared them into breaking out. Right, amazing, making them look like they were making and, them look like they were the ones that did it. That's right, and 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 yeah, and that's and that's and if that is the case, it's five D chess because you had two people escape, yeah, and then you have somebody that you're saying. Especially, and I excuse, uh, forgive me because I have I have the names written down, but which one was which I I don't remember. But one of these guys looks very innocent sure. <laughs> from 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 uh, the Hauser and Boozer group, yeah. and uh, so Hauser was the one that looked innocent. Yeah, he's the one that looked innocent. Okay, so Hauser looks innocent, and then you have two guys that do a jailbreak. Yeah. And it, like I, it, then then it just it, I, it feels like it just feeds more into the right. local narrative to say like oh it was those guys uh, this this story yeah, my well, god this story uh, they break out of prison with three months to go knowing yeah and and, and, and just like you said especially because they got off the first time yeah it's like they had, they had to be manipulated I know yeah that was uh, that was weird. Getting the cue here that we need to go to a break. Devo, whip it, leads us into it. We'll be right back. Oh, 
The Capital City Zoo is home to the most famous and prestigious collection of wild animals on the entire planet. But a new and controversial addition is about to prove deadly. I don't feel so good about this. In an effort to stop dwindling ticket sales, zoo director Jackie Colorado has procured the strongest and largest chimpanzee in the world, the dangerous capuchin. I am telling you, that cage is not going to hold a capuchin of that size. Hotshot zoo dentist Dr. Paul Petrovic Jr. knows all about the razor-sharp fangs of the giant ape. I've seen this before. In the jungles of South America. The bacteria in the scratch from one tooth is enough to kill a hundred million innocent people. All hell breaks loose in Capital City when the ferocious capuchin escapes the captivity of the zoo. Every second counts. It is a race against time to save the city, and maybe the whole human race. It was a fucking bloodbath. Tommy Lee Jones. When I catch that thing, I'm gonna invite you all over to enjoy some fresh orangutan burgers on the house. Molly Ringwald. Transylvania 65000's own Lee Majors as the deadly capuchin. And podcast legend Johnny Utah as zoo director Jackie Colorado. Like, I'm getting hate mail. I got people emailing me. I got people stopping at my house. And I said, fuck you. This Friday, the nightmare turns real. Beware. The scratch of the capuchin. Rated R. Only available in the Mind 42 Tourism app. We are back here on Andretti After Dark with Paul Petrunik, his book In Time, The Killing of Pauly Paul. Okay, yeah. so then we have then we have the what we mentioned earlier. Um, you know, we had Fulgert's wife. Um, that that was an apprentice for for Paulie Paul, yes. who then yeah. testifies saying that that um, her husband was indeed at Western Penn during the time yeah. that the other guys right. were there. Yeah, he was, and she admitted it on the witness stand. You know, when it was her turn to get on the witness stand, she said, "Yes, my husband is in Western Penn, and he was supposed to be there till like 1868, so he had three years to go." because it was 1865. So he was hoping that Hauser and Boozer would get money because they promised that they would get a lawyer for him and get him out early if they got money. And obviously they had the $500 at least for a down payment to, to buy a house. And, uh, and they bought furniture too. When they got back to Pittsburgh, they bought furniture for the the house they were renting or they were, you know, they were living in that house. And uh, so, gee whiz. So for, with this, with this trial, now, I mean, now we're talking about the, you know, the, the, um, the Hauser and the Boozer trial. Um, have you, this is, this is so crazy to me. Have you ever heard of a situation where a juror has to testify and it happens twice with this trial? They had two people that were on the jury on two separate occasions testified on the witness stand because the crowd even, it was like a big hush when they said, John Buck, you're come to the witness stand. And he was a juror. So he got up. He said he didn't know he was going to be asked 
to yeah, test. So I was just gonna say that was a surprise, right? Like for the integrity of what that is crazy. It's crazy. How does this guy get on the jury if he was working at Western Penn? You know, a, a, a ninety miles away. Yeah, I I don't know. I don't know. But in those days, you couldn't be a woman and and be on the jury. Women weren't allowed on juries. And I think only people that were on juries were property owners. Okay. In other words, if you rented an apartment somewhere, you weren't going to get jury duty. But if you owned property in that locality, then you were, could be subject to being a juror. So and that's the same thing for voting rights, right, Paul? Like, yeah. because, because I would assume that, that jury duty, the same way it is now, is that right. when we fill out our voter registration, Sure. then we are now subject to jury duty. And so you had to be a property owning white male in 18, whatever to be on a jury. Correct. Yeah. I don't know when, I don't, re- I don't know when the date was when women got the right to vote. I don't know. Was it, you know, 1914 or somewhere? I don't know. And I don't know. Somewhere, somewhere close to 1920, I believe. And I don't know the amendment that did that, that let them have a right to vote. But in 1865, women weren't voting uh, or jury duty. So, so another guy, another, another guy uh, on, really quick, I, I, if, if you don't mind, yeah, I, go, because go. I, I, because we're, we're now into this second set of trials. Yeah. Um, Paul, Abraham Copeland yeah. is representing – that's a public defender for both yeah. Hauser, Boozer, and Ream. Like, yeah. So when, when he gets done with Ream, he's got to be feeling good, right? Right, yeah. But then he goes to Hauser and Boozer. Like, have you, have you gotten anything deeper into Abraham Copeland? Like, and the reason I, I ask that is – that of course we have attorney client privilege and all these things like that. But you, you would think that at some point in time, maybe something could have, if anybody knows anything, is he the missing link? Is he the person you think that might be able to like, so, is he the Rosetta stone here? You would think he was, uh, they always say, uh, if you cannot afford an attorney, one will be appointed for you. So he was the Copeland was the appointed attorney uh, for Ream and Riddle because they probably didn't have an attorney or couldn't afford one. And then, of course, Hauser and Boozer, they needed an attorney because they showed up on the first day with no representation at all. So they had to delay the trial a couple days till they got an attorney for them because I'm sure they couldn't afford one. They didn't know anybody. So that was funny, though, how uh, Copeland was Reams' attorney, he was Biddle's attor- uh, Riddle's attorney, and now he was the double attorney for Hauser and Boozer. So he was appointed by the justice system as their attorney to represent them. You would think that, he, that he, he's the only person, the only one, yeah. that would know how the sausage is made on both sides, right? I mean, he because, was, because everything that they're able to speak about it's candid and it's confidential, and that 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 is wild. It's wild that he's with both parties, one exonerated, one convicted. That's yeah. it's it's wild. I know. It's like gee whiz. The tri- hmm. the, so this trial t- ends up taking about five days, um, but the the second juror who who gets called to the witness stand, Kirby, 
who okay. co- who comes on to talk about the train schedule and kind That's of what right. the what what the schedule's like with, with the trains running through town. Yeah, he didn't give testimony like that would harm Hauser or Boozer, but he was called to the called to the witness stand, and they asked him questions like, "Okay, when did the train stop at at Summerhill?" Uh, and he gave the schedule or what time they left or what time of day they arrived twice a day or, and uh, I guess the testimony wasn't really something threatening to either, either one, but somebody wanted to clear up when they could have arrived in Summerhill. So I, I don't know what to say about that. Um, but just the fact that a juror actually stood up when called and went to get to the witness stand that was like that was probably unheard of yeah and the prosecution really tries to do a good job of not leaving any kind of empty link in the chain of guilt here right so they bring in a lot of people who've seen these guys you know walking around town and asking questions and whatnot yeah yeah they they anytime that they went to different houses they were asking for something to eat while they were scouting out. Like in, in late May, they they showed up where Polly Paul lived. And they went and asked people where they were feeling everything out. But they would stop and say, I'm, a, I'm an old soldier. Um, can, you, can I get something to eat here or whatever? But they were feeling everything out. I mean, it's also wild to me that, you know, you, you talk about just different times of what it is right now. I mean, you've got people just showing up at your house at midnight, knocking on your door, and people just yeah. answer the door. Johnstown. <laughs> yeah, you know, yeah. Yeah, that's what happened. They would say, how far is it to Johnstown? Or, uh, sure, they were asking questions. Everybody was asleep. Wow. Yeah, I, I, I had a salesman that came to my door yesterday at uh, 7 p.m. on yeah. a Friday. And uh, I, I'll tell you what, Paul, I opened the door and I said, no, thanks. Before he even he, he was breathing in to tell me who he was. I said, no, thanks. I shut the door. I locked the deadbolt. Um, but I couldn't imagine Jeez. somebody. Yeah, well, I couldn't imagine somebody coming to say, like, can I have something to eat? Yeah. <laughs> like, like, you know what I'm saying? Like, I'm thinking about how irritated yeah. I was at the salesman that, yeah. ha- that, that, that came over at seven o'clock. And to have somebody say, can I have something to eat? And yeah. there's more than one account you have in this yeah. story Tons about of people Tons that said, oh, yeah, they, yeah, yeah. they brought them in. Yeah, they brought them in. They fed them. And they said, okay, well, this is weird. They keep asking about this thing or whatever. But, yeah, bring somebody in. Give them food. My God, if I if I had brought that salesman in and offered him a bagel, my wife would have been like, what are you doing? Get this weirdo out of my house. My kid's in bed. That's a really <laughs> good, really good point you just made about – the people just opening their homes to these yeah. guys that look like they need yeah. a bite to eat, right? So yeah. they let these people yeah. come into the house. And That's- even those good-hearted people that did that, yeah. several of those people threw those guys out of their house. <laughs> yeah. No, because they were asking too many questions like, is there an old woman who lives by herself around here somewhere? Well, now that's getting a little personal. Sure. You know, and – uh but he want they wanted to know is there any men around here? Where's the farm? Uh, so hmm. I um I, I appreciated um Judge Taylor, the guy that was presiding over uh 
over this case. I, I appreciated his words to the jury that you went into in depth in, uh, about the seriousness yeah. of what they heard in the testimony. Right. Um, yeah. And look, I, I sat on a, uh, I sat on a lengthy civil civil jury, you know, not a murder trial, um, about two or three years ago. Um, and even when the evidence was so blatant about what happened, we still had people on the jury that wanted to sympathize with the people who were so obviously guilty of what they did. And the the fact that everybody, all 12 jurors, only took 90 minutes to find these guys guilty for, uh, of That's these right. murders. Everybody went out of the courtroom to take a breather and they weren't out very long when the bell rang and they had that meant you're ready to give a verdict here. So they all rushed back into the, into the courtroom. Uh, and, Bo- and Boozer, so they get, they get convicted. You know, these guys are convicted of murder. Um, and Boozer almost immediately starts trying to manipulate everybody right. in the area with these letters. Sure. Right away. And uh, yeah, now whether they were true or he was exaggerating or, but he, they, the uh, the one part in my book, it says he was the most popular guy in Evansburg for several months. He, he got more mail than anybody else in the whole town. (laughs) So people were writing back to him, you know, he would send out letters and then he would get mail into the jail from people that were corresponding back to him. So wow. as crazy as crazy as this sounds, it, like when I read this, <laughs> Boozer was like the first social media influencer. <laughs> like, do you know what I mean? Like he the way the way that people and and I mean everybody from politicians to actors to whomever are able to go on social media right now. And then sort of give their own narrative and paint their story. Yeah. Um, that's what he did. And he did it with the tools that were provided at the time, sure. which was the the papers, right? Exactly. Where he would write these letters to the editor or whatever it was. And, and then- it, it's just a fascinating thing that he was this like, I don't want to say trailblazer, but I, I guess I will. Like this trailblazer to sort of, he, Paul, your story had me empathizing with the other person as being an innocent man right? because of the letters and things that you said that he was saying. It was, it was, it was crazy, man. It really was. Wow. Uh, So there was a a very odd situation with this woman in Pittsburgh um, that this, that this this gentleman, Alderman Robertson, uh, Robinson showed up at her house. Yeah. What's yeah. What's with that? He, she sent, she must, she corresponded with somebody that said, they're not guilty. They were cupping me or leeching me on the day, the day, the day before and the day after when the murder occurred. So they, they were treating me not, and you know what I mean? So they, she claims that they were with her at the time of the murder. So they couldn't have done it. And so even though the trial was over and the verdicts were given, Cambridge County got an alderman or whatever to go talk to this woman personally. So when he pulls in at their in, house, in Pittsburgh. she's in Pittsburgh, she's in Pittsburgh. So he gets to her house and finds out what the day before she died or a couple hours before he was due to get there. 
she died and could never give her testimony. What I mean, what are the odds of that happening? Yeah, yeah. is that some kind of conspiracy thing or I was just going to say, Paul. You know what? I brought I brought up the JFK thing with the geomancy. Yeah. Like, yeah. I don't mean to be all weird, but yeah. <laughs> you know, that's spooky, like, it's, man. It's, it is. It really is. Yeah, and like testimony the, that might have changed the verdict, but I don't know. Could you have changed the verdict? It was already given. But if you find if you find evidence. In 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 Boozer's favor, wouldn't they redo the verdict? What would you do? Right. And my thing here is, and I, you know, I'm not by no means am I like a, a law expert. Yeah. But like, when, but when we have when the people who are and and for no for no better terms responsible for you know the halfway house whatever it is. For um, Hauser and Boozer, when they say uh, they left on June fifth, yeah, and they returned on June tenth, right, with money, and not just money, but money that we've already covered is like, yeah, you know, Scrooge McDuck money at that time. Sure, it is. It is hard to believe that they didn't go and acquire funds from this murdered person that obviously had money. Right. Right. And that's, that's what was so strange about it was that. Yeah. I don't, I don't think they there did a hundred thousand dollars worth of cupping in Summerhill. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It, it, well, but, but that's my thing is if you would think that if there was a true alibi, yeah, that the person that exonerated the, the we just talked about the, uh, the uh, Copeland, yes. the person that exonerated the group before, he should have been hip to the game here, right? Like he should have known that this alibi existed. And because he didn't know, that's why I, I don't know, man. But, but again, because then she ends up dead. There's, this is weird. It's, it, this is a weird. And I'll tell you what, Paul, you know what I love? I love weird. I love weird, man. <laughs> I mean, so this you, is where if you, were, if you were Hauser or Boozer, and you were at this old woman's house or whatever, providing, you know, the cupping or the leeching yeah. or whatever for her. Why would you not be screaming over and over? You got to go talk to this woman. Right. She's right. She's, she's going to tell you that we were there the whole time. Right. And, and an attorney just got them exonerated. That's the other thing. Like a, an attorney literally got the first two exonerated. So why wouldn't you? I don't know, man. It, it, it is strange. It is strange. I always thought if I was on trial and I was found guilty of murder, and, and I know I didn't do it, wouldn't you go kicking and scratching? And I mean, I would be screaming at that jury, I'd like, no, this is, you got to go talk to this woman in Pittsburgh. She's going to tell you that we didn't do it. We were at her house. Yeah. Now, if Hauser and Boozer didn't do it, are they sitting around going, oh, gee, it's just not my lucky day. I was found guilty of murder. <laughs> I mean, it's... Screaming and... Yeah, well, and, and Paul, Paul, that's the weirder thing is that Boozer seems to be at peace with, oh yeah, kill yeah. me. Yes. And Hauser is saying, no, don't kill me. And Boozer's saying, go ahead, kill me, but ah, don't kill Hauser. Like yeah. this is this is where my brain starts to just turn into soup with all this. Let him go. He didn't do anything. But he didn't do anything to argue about himself. You know, 
he was he was in he was in Hauser's camp. You know, it's like let the poor guy alone. Boozer then tries to take his own life in jail. Which, which, if if Boozer tries to take his own life, yes. and he's trying to get Hauser off, you, yeah. this, this, that's the part that makes me think. Okay, this is like not that in the acts and everything. I'm, you know, we're keeping these separate, but you know, the the empathy of a human here being, this is a guy that knows my life wasn't good and I did a bunch of bad. But because I've had these jail, you know, these cell side conversations with this guy for months and years, right? I, you know, maybe, maybe there is light at the end of his tunnel. Maybe, maybe there's hope for him. Maybe he was talking to him about like, when I get out, man, and if I get out, I'm going to X, Y, and Z. And that's sort of where I was with that is, is that did Boozer accept the fact that he was, you know, he was this guy that was just either dealt a bad hand or whatever his upbringing was, and he did a bunch of wrong, and I'm okay with it, but I have hope for Hauser. You know what I mean? Like, that's, that's sort of what I think about there, um, is that he's sort of nailed himself to the cross for yeah. the sake of for the sake of another man, which right. is, it's a noble act, it is, yeah. but it, it doesn't do any favors for justice right and that's that's the problem is that when you when you convolute the justice system uh, i don't know now after the hanging how how the hanging went you know like when the when the when the floor gave way and the bodies you know went down hauser had a peaceful death he just his neck snapped immediately and he didn't leave. he he just he died immediately his neck snapped more than being hung whereas boozers kicked around there for two or three minutes cuz he actually strangled his neck didn't break so he didn't die peacefully he's just hung there for two two minutes or so kicking and swiggling and then he he died by strangulation and then they said when they took the caps off their heads hauser was like laying there nice and peaceful his eyes were shut and his face and bowser his face was all distorted and twitching you know because he he was strangling so he was moving on the noose and the other one just boom he was dead in a minute Paul, uh, I hate to say this, man, but like, so Hauser's the one, Hauser's are like, to use a wrestling term, because this was born of a wrestling show, Paul, like Hauser sort of ends up as like a baby face here, because we were rooting for Hauser almost, because uh, because, um, Bowser is saying that Hauser's an innocent man, like we can't convict him. Right. And the fact that he dies peacefully, Hauser, that is, yeah, it it adds another layer. It adds more empathy yeah. to the story to me. Like yeah. I'm reading this and I'm thinking, oh my gosh, was this guy innocent? Yeah. And he was just he was so one with God that he said, you know what, Lord, if this is your bidding, please take care of me in 20 minutes right like like i'm i'm here for you god i i'll see in a couple of minutes and to me that says 
you know, peace. That says peace. And even if that peace is, I did this heinous act, but I'm getting my justice, right? Like, there's a whole bunch of layers that go into that. The fact that the guy that was so, you know, like, like wrench into the wrench into the cogs and um, all of this, the fact that he was so wretched. Look, man, I, it's it's I, the way that you said before. Don't don't or doesn't this sound weird about? People wanted me to do this. Yeah, it speaks to me on the like a spiritual or a uh, posthumous or just like some sort of like extracurricular human level to say that if he had that much torment in his face, what else was going on? Right? right. Like, like that. That that's just it. Is that it's it is? This is a deep something. Yeah, this is a deep and layered thing, man. It really is. Peace. Wow. Paul, you said that there. You said in the book that there were hundreds of people that came to Evansburg to see this, right? Oh my, yeah, they came by train, wagon. They walked if they were close enough. Oh yeah, that was a big deal. It was like it was almost like the O.J. Simpson trial. It was it was a big deal. And uh, there, like I think, um, I think uh, Teddy said something earlier about you know going out with only having a couple members of the media present i mean and yeah. you've got i mean that has to be just a a crazy feeling to to be to hear all these people outside the prison right. walls yeah. right outside the jail walls yeah. and you're you're in this you're in this place with this um you know with this uh with a gallows where there's only like like eight people in there that are that are witnessing right. this yeah and what about they wouldn't let Martin Mundy inside the barricade. I, you know what I mean? Like they build a barricade around the, you know, so nobody in the outside would see the actual hanging. So people were looking through the cracks and, but they left so many people in to view the hanging, but they, but uh, Martin Mundy applied for admission and they wouldn't let him in. And even yeah. though his daughter was murdered, um, for some reason, they didn't feel he should be in to see the hanging. And those guys were buried by public charity, I think you said, uh, with unmarked graves, right? Right. They, you know where the Holy Name Cemetery is in Evansburg? That was the old Catholic cemetery. Okay. Okay. So, um, uh, yeah, they, they they were buried in, in uh, of course, they were buried in two, each were in a coffin, and they buried them in unmarked graves with no tombstones. And uh, what's the story about people committing suicide or murdering somebody? Can they be buried in a Catholic cemetery? That's a good question. Because, I mean, and this was back in 1865. So nowadays, the rules may be more lenient, but I know... When I was a kid, if you if you were a murderer, you had to be buried outside a Catholic cemetery border. You know what I mean? You could you couldn't be bordered in a Catholic. You couldn't be buried in a Catholic cemetery. I mean, were they? I'm assuming they were both Catholic. I mean, could you could you even be buried in a Catholic cemetery? Period. Well, you there, one, one one was converted, right? Didn't didn't one convert? One was converted. But if you are a devout Catholic and you murder somebody and you get hanged, can you be buried in a Catholic cemetery 
or not? Uh, maybe if you maybe the, if just... well the answer the answer at that time probably would have been no though because uh, if, uh, if you're saying if there was gray if there was gray area or even rules when you were a child yeah. like you were a child a hundred years before this happened <laughs> you know what I mean and so and so things were much more what I, I, I don't want to say extreme but you extreme then yeah. so yeah well maybe maybe the thought was that he converted and he you know made his peace with God and everything. And then at that point, they let him be buried there. I don't know. Yeah, the one at the end was Catholic and one wasn't. And we are going to take our final break with Dire Straits leading us into the uh, the break here, Sultans of Swing. We'll be right back on Andretti After Dark. the story of the ultimate reunion. Mount Whitehead? Site of Dan Seven's greatest adventure. As the unorganized and the unruly. Uh, I think you guys are supposed to put those fizzies in a glass of water. Take on the untamed. Get it off! Get it off! The uncomfortable. I'm in a death camp with Daniel Boone. The unbalanced. There's an escaped convict up here. We're the FBI. You'll never get off that mountain alive! And the unspeakable. I'm gonna ride you like a holly on bad piece of rock. In an unforgettable adventure. It's a waterfall! Oh my god! It's a wave that never is. This is bitches! What's gonna happen to me next? Bigfoot, volcanoes? Praise Mohegan. You can take the kid out of the uniform. You guys are just like women. Of course, I had a feeling about that. Hey, wait a minute. You can even take him out of the neighborhood. You've got the wrong guys. What? What? Pardon? But boys will be boys. Who are you guys anyway? We're Cub Scouts. Even when they're the wrong guys. Mark Knopfler, a terrific guitarist, definitely does not get his just due. Uh, welcome back, everybody, to the show. It's Andretti After Dark with myself, Teddy Mongoose. We are here with Dr. Paul Petrunik telling the story that he researched for a very long time to put out this incredible book, In Time, The Killing of Pauly Paul. But speaking of the, speaking of the spiritual counsel, um, yeah. we've got to talk about one more guy that is kind of an interesting character in this whole story. So when Boozer tried to kill himself, yeah. He gave his spiritual counsel an account of That's someone right. named George Blanchard, who yes. he believed was the person that killed yeah. both yeah. of the people. Yeah, he came up and he said he gave his copy of the map to get to Polly Paul's house. He gave his copy to George Blanchard. And whether or not whether that happened or not, I don't know. But he was saying that I, I'm sorry I gave him my map. Because he then went and robbed Polly Paul and then murdered the two girls. So that was the thing about that. So so Boozer had a map of the area, how to get to Polly Paul's house. 
But at the last minute, he gave his map to George Blanchard. Do we know if that's even a real person? I don't know that. Because I, I, I was under the impression that he was one of the people that disappeared after this story was over. I mean, I was just was curious if you had ever found anything. I could not find any information on George Blanchard. I mean, that, that could just be a name. It could just be, hey, I gave it to Johnny Sinclair. could have made it up. He could have made it up. But he's saying that George Blanchard did it. And it was, it was part his fault because George Blanchard had lost his map. And Bowser and and uh, Boozer gave him his copy, so that's how he knew how to get to Cambry County. I mean, why would you do that if you were? <laughs> I mean, if you were Boozer, why yeah. would you even do that? I know it's like, hmm. Why would you not just keep your own copy of the map like that? I, mean, I, don't, I don't know. Right. <laughs> it just sounds like a diversion, is what it sounds like. Of I course. Um, yeah. So then they they those guys are those guys are hung and they're buried. You know, and then we get the, you know, we get the, 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 the vengeance, I guess, of, of the, these two heinous murders. Um, it's what a wild story, but we're not even done yet because there's still some more crazy things that happen after the, after these guys are dead. That's right. Yep. It's like, wow. So you, know, what, you, you mentioned, you mentioned in the book that, um, that Catherine Mundy had this crazy, I, I oh, want to yeah. call it almost like a vision, right? That's right. She went to the jail after, after, after Hauser and Boozer were uh, sentenced to hang. She went to the jail to see the guy. And uh, when she went, uh, they brought, they brought prisoners out one at a time for her to see. And uh, so they she they brought out like four or five guys and she said no none of them did it and when they brought when they brought Boozer out she screamed he did it and fainted so is that a psychic thing because she crazy. never met him before she knew his name but they didn't come out they didn't come bring him out and give his name they just brought each prisoner out one at a time. And she said, nah, that's not him. That's not him. But she never met him face to face ever. But in the jailhouse, when they brought him out, yeah, she screamed, he did it, and then fainted. And so, like, wow. That's you know, that's kind, of a, that's kind of weird. It's it's just, it's also wild to, and I know it was a lot easier to disappear back in those days, and there was a lot less, you know, paper trail and all those kind of things, but the fact that we've got Reem and Riddle, who both just, they're found innocent, yeah. and then they break out of jail. Those <laughs> guys disappear off the face of the planet. And yeah. then you've got George Blanchard, whether or not that's even a real person. Right. That guy disappears. McCreary right. ends up in, in Erie and gets in trouble up there and then disappears. And counterfeiting. Yeah, oh. I was just going to say, the counterfeiting thing with McCreary, I, I, I literally, in this book, I have exclamation points next to and underlined his new gig counterfeiting like uh, dude you just you just got yourself out for doing the 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 right thing right yeah you just uh, I, I i get i guess if you're married to the game then that's it right any wrangled children into that scheme yeah 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 you'd think if they would have just behaved themselves 
you know, their life would have been great. They would have had to get a job somewhere or something, but they just went back, went back to their old tricks. Crazy. What a, crazy. What, a wild, what a wild story. I mean, and what a tragic ending for a lot of these people. I mean, the, the, the story that you, the stories you told at the end of the book about kind of what happened to these people that, that, that lived through this. I mean, it, it went bad for everybody. It was bad. Yeah. yeah. Paul, Paul, I fell over whenever I like you, I read this entire story I, from this tragic murder to they brought these two guys in and oh my gosh, they got off. And then we convicted these guys and oh my gosh, wait a minute. Like all, all this stuff, I go up, down, left and right. And then I never, ever once put together that Monday's corner yeah. is for the, for the Monday, like yeah. for the Monday girl, like the Monday family. That um, my my mind was blown there, and that that was sort of why I asked that 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 whole geomancy thing at the beginning is that like there's weird things that get tied to the names of places. You know what I'm saying? And the fact that Monday's Corner, like I don't know, man, it, it is this strange. We have Monday's Corner, and everybody knows Monday's Corner, but nobody knows about the murder of. The, the daughter. I mean, like, I'll tell you what this crazy? made me do. Yeah. It's made me really start to question why places are named the way they are. I ever, ever listen, Andretti, Andretti, that that's that's geomancy. Like, like that that is what the idea is. Is that places have meaning? The idea is words have meaning. Okay, so words have meaning, and names mean something. Right. And that was why I asked Paul about that at the beginning is that it was all related to Monday's corner because that's, that that's crazy. It's crazy because we have something named after some, after this tragic event and nobody knows. Go ahead, Paul. I'm sorry. Makes me wonder why they call it Fiffic town. Like, how do we know? That'll be my Who's, next. Who the heck is Fiffic? <laughs> right. We got to find out who Fiffic is. I know. Yeah. Oh my God. Uh, well, well, uh, Martin Monday, they lived. When when Cassie Mundy lived with them, they lived near the uh, airport, Evansburg Airport. But then after she was murdered, it didn't take them long to just, they moved then to Mundy's Corner. They bought the intersection where those two roads meet. Nanny go to Johnstown, Pittsburgh to Evansburg. That intersection, he bought that. And then that people began to call it Mundy's Corner because Monday had the property. I mean, poor, poor, you know, Mary um, Stibolitsky here, the one who who can't sleep. And she's been thinking about this, these howling, screaming she's been hearing in the woods. And then the next day they end up finding the, the bodies of Polly Paul and Cassie Monday. I mean, things turned out really bad for, for Mary. Yeah. Now they, if they would have, if Mary came home and told her folks what she heard that night, if they would have went back, if they would have went back that evening, uh, would they have maybe been able to catch the guy sooner and not even have a trial? Or would they have maybe been killed by the two guys if they were hanging around the house still, if they went back that evening? So you don't know what would have happened if they would have followed her back. They might have avoided all this trial stuff if they would have caught the two guys. But of course, it was her, it was Mary, her mother, and dad, 
would they have been able to subdue two crooks? Or who just committed a committed a, a, a hot blooded murder minutes yeah. earlier? You know, it I mean that you got you got to figure they probably killed yeah. the women before yeah. they ransacked the house, right? Sure. So they were probably there for a while digging through stuff to find the money. If they got there the night of the murder, those, there might have been five murders then. Right. Because they might have killed Mary Stibulitsky and her folks. Um, and, and, we, and it should be stated that Mary Stibulitsky dies in the Johnstown flood. Yeah, isn't that... That's like, a, that's, like, uh, like, that's so amazing. And six of her nine kids. Story. This story is just... It's yeah. so... And it, I, it, it's just so entwined and intergrained. It's crazy. When I found out how Mary died. I got the chills. I'm sitting there in the Cambria County Library on the third floor with microfilm on the old newspapers. And I found out that she passed away in the flood. I was like, oh, man, I, I couldn't believe it. I'm like, how many yeah. more fantastic things can happen? You know, there was... That's why people ask me, are you going to write another book? I don't think I could find a book this good. No. Well, and Paul, the thing about it is you wrote a book that some people might have taken 500 pages to write. You wrote it in 100. And I feel like like when you talk about this divine intervention or, you know, whatever – the fact that you, I, what, what I got from a hundred pages is 500 pages worth of stuff, man. And so it's, it, that's what just blows my mind is everything is so boom, right to the point. Right. And oh my gosh, it it is, it is just crazy that the, the spider web and the splinter and everything that goes off of this man. And she was the one that I, I had like three things underlined here with her and it all was related to her being in the 1889 flood and so then you talk about like you know whatever whatever the powers are were these people all supposed to be in these events that made you know if she didn't die in the flood you wouldn't have been able to know probably cause of death or yeah i don't know i i I just well her her husband dies and also six of her nine kids die in the flood yeah yeah and I could not find what happened to the other three kids. Like, why didn't they die? Yeah. Uh, were yeah. they, because it was Decoration Day weekend that back in those days when the flood came, they might have been living with, they might have been with their grandparents up in New Germany for three days. You know what I mean? Like, well, the, and, and the weirdest what? thing is, and, and what stuck out here is, is that. You know, my my grandparents were born and raised like I I spent I spent a lot of my childhood in the West End. Yeah. And so when I read the West End, which yeah. is what you had here, and it was uh, Lewis's body was buried in uh, St. Mary's Cemetery in Johnstown's yeah. West End. For Mary, it was a different story. Her body was recovered and identified, but no one came to claim it. Yeah. Like they're so what? strange. Right. Like. The, the, what? Why? I, I don't know, dude. Why didn't Mr. and Mrs. Stibolitsky go get her daughter's body? Why didn't the kids want to go get their mother's yeah. body? I mean, there were three kids left, and, and they were, that's just it. There's still three kids left. Yeah, the three oldest. They were they were what? 
16, 14, and 12. But they weren't little kids. So you'd think if they found out that her body was recovered, why didn't they go get it? Maybe, yeah. maybe there was too much commotion. Maybe they buried people two days after the flood if they found them because it can't leave them lay in the July air or the May air. Yeah. You know, it's hot. It's, it's, you don't want to do that. But nobody came to pick her up. So then they, she got buried in, she got buried in Grandview Cemetery. And, you know, there's not a body under every tombstone. Okay. They had to put those tombstones in a geographic pattern so that it would look nice. So there's 777 tombstones. There's only, there's not like nine that aren't, there's not nine that don't have any underneath them. Just oh, so it, Paul, I'll tell, you, I'll, I'll tell you what, Paul, we can get as weird as you want to. Not right now, but that's sometime so in the bizarre. future. But that's so seven, weird. Seven, seven, seven is an interesting number, man. Yeah, seven, seven, there's, seven. Yeah, there's seven, seven deadly sins. Seven, seven comes up in the Bible a lot. Right. And the fact that there is seven, 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 oh my gosh, man, I just got the, I just got the hooba jubas right there, man. Right. And I know you wrote about that and I, and I didn't have that written down, but the fact that we just brought that back up, that's, uh, that is something I wanted to notice that like, that, it, that is a very interestingly interesting number for that to be the number of people that are in that particular place. But under Ooh. but under there but under some of those tombstones, there's 31 people buried in a mass grave. Oh, I didn't know yeah. that either. And, and uh, Mary Stibolitsky is in there. She's in with the 31 others. So, like, there's probably under most of those graves in Grandview, there's a body. But then there's some that don't have any underneath them. But then there's a one group where there's 31 that might be under 17. You know, just to give it the pattern to make it look prestigious. And, uh, sure. and that's 777, man. <laughs> <laughs> uh, like, I, the, like that, that, oh my gosh, that's something. Yeah. So, oh, that's, that's bizarre. That's very bizarre. <laughs> so, Paul, you, um, another really odd things, thing happens to you in terms of just one of your, one of your patients. Yeah. Um, says to you that they have a fr a friend that uh, has got a special talent. Sure. Yeah. She has psychic abilities. Well, anyhow. Um, so uh, she, my patient said, I can ask her if you want. She can go to Polly Paul's farm, and don't tell her anything about it. Don't tell her what anything that happened there. Just have her go there without any previous information and see if she picks up any vibes or anything like that. So sure enough, one day she and her daughter, she was from, this girl was from Summerhill, but she lives in North Carolina. So she came home to visit one, one weekend. And while she was there, she, she and her daughter went up to Polly Paul's farm. And sure enough, she starts walking through the, the, the foundations and she starts talking to Polly Paul. And she was asking Polly Paul different questions. And um, so anyhow, uh, 
Polly Paul tells her they got the wrong men. That they were three guys who just happened to be passing through Summerhill, and uh. they, and they came to the farm and they killed the two women. So that's all she said, and then uh, so they so she said we got the wrong guys. You guys, the the people who did the trowel got the wrong guys. So anyhow, she said. Um, so the girl asked her if she thinks that we will ever find out actually who did it. And Polly Paul says, in time. That's oh. where I got the in time. Oh, it's spooky as hell. So anyhow, but that's when Polly Paul said, we come back, me and uh, um, Cassie Mundy and I come back here often. And sometimes we bring Nelson. Okay. And that's where I brought up Nelson at the beginning because Nelson could be a first name or a last name, you know, Mike Nelson or Nelson Eddie, that type of thing. Or, 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 or even a pseudonym, you know, like. Yeah. So, anyhow, uh, I went through the Cambria County Death Index. I looked at every N letter and I couldn't find a name Nelson. But. I was able to go to the Cambria County newspapers on microfilm. And here I found like a William Nelson. And he was the boy who went swimming with his brother. They lived, they lived up on where Fishertown Road is. They came down in the middle of July one day to go swimming. Brother dives in underneath that railroad arch, never comes up. He runs home and tells his dad, you know, Bill's, Bill didn't come up. He's he's down under the water. They all come down. The parents come down, other brothers and sisters, and they eventually find him. And he's, of course, drowned in the water. Well, you don't expect your son to do- drown right away. So they had to real quick get a, get a grave. So they he's buried in Summerhill at that Lutheran church where you come up and go around the over the railroad tracks. Yeah. There's a church that sits down there. Here's the story with that. So one win, one one day in March, I said to Debbie and Sarah, let's go to that cemetery and let me see if I can find his grave. Well, sure enough, we start walking around the cemetery there and I couldn't, we couldn't find it. We couldn't find the tombstone. So anyhow, uh, they go back to the car because it was cold and I decided I'm going to make one more trip. So I go back into the cemetery and walk around, and sure enough, I look down and my shoe's untied, okay? So I bend down to tie it, and there was a flat tombstone level with the ground. You know how those tombstones are? They don't stick up. They're just a plate on the ground, and it says N-E-L-S-O-N. I mean, I just had all the hair on the back of my neck stand up. Dude, dude. So there, so there's that they they sought me out type of thing because right, I, I made a couple trips up and down that cemetery, didn't find it. Yet when I made one more trip, and my if my shoelace wouldn't have been untied, I wouldn't have bent down to pick it up. When I bent, but why down, was your shoelace untied? Right? <laughs> why why was it untied? So, and when I bent down to tie it, there was a flat plate, like a keyboard here, 
And it just said Nelson, N-E-L-S-O-N. No dates, no first name or yeah. And I have a picture of it. I should I'll send it to you maybe. And it's just a it's just a flat, you know, you know where Agnes is buried? Don't they usually Yeah. She has a flat tombstone, right? Right, right. They don't have tombstones sticking out of the ground, but they have flat ones. And uh, it was just like that. I couldn't believe it. I was shocked. It was like, gave you the chills, but because all of a sudden you're staring at Nelson. So that's why I'm assuming that the Nelson that goes to Polly Paul's farm is probably that kid. And he might be hanging out with Cassie Mundy. I'm not trying to be funny. But you know what? He could be spending time up along 219. It's not that far away from the cemetery. So, wow. So, oh, man. Really, Paul, the here's so you saying all of that, boom, you know, they're doing the, the gif of the mine explosion, all that stuff. So, your book's called In Time. Okay. And I I told you that your youngest son and me, you know, we've we've had a couple of conversations over a couple of hoppy brews or cocktails or whatever. Uh, But what I wasn't ready for was the fact that in time being the the title, obviously that's the, the title It's the last words of the story, but the, the image of the cover, the cover image is the pocket watch with the noose. And brother, that's deep. It's deep when you read the story because we have these two men that were, you know, uh, that were capital punishment that, that were extinguished by hanging. And we also have, what is the you know the supernatural voice of Polly Paul that says that wasn't it? It'll be revealed in time. So I I would lo- I'd love to know where where did where did the graphic come from? Who whose idea was the graphic? Where did the, like this is this graphic? When you read the story, you see that you see the cover. You say, oh okay, whatever. You read the story and. It's one of these other things that makes you fall off your chair. So where'd that come from? Well, the publisher didn't do it. I was the one that said to him, can we somehow use a pocket watch? I Because I was going to say In Time was going to be the title. So for some reason, I said to the publisher, can you can you find me a picture of a pocket watch? And uh, And then I don't know what, I don't really know how it happened, but, you know, you're dealing with two men being hanged. And I said, is there any chance you could find a pocket watch with a noose or a rope somehow wrapped around it? And they searched and they found one for me. And I was thrilled with it. When I saw that, because they sent me another, they sent me another cover before and I turned it down. I didn't like it. But this one was like, as soon as I saw it, I thought, this is great. This is really great. And, it, uh, it, it, it is perfect, right? Like, it's awesome. Like, it, it's, it, awesome. It, 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 it's the story with two – if you see this image, you don't know what you're about to read. And then when you read it, oh. this image makes all the sense in the world. Like, it is – 
cobwebs because people don't get it, man. It's it's so old and just thrown away that like you have that image of I'm going to the library and I open this book and there's just these spider webs and stuff all over the place. You have that in the background and then you have that the the pocket watch. That's the thing is it's a pocket watch. So this thing is old AF with that noose around it. Like Paul, this is a home run, brother. Yeah, and that really that was, was why I wanted to ask that because this is such a great cover for this story. It really is. You know what people have asked me? They wanted me. They asked me what was the significance of the time on the watch. You know what I mean? Like, Ooh, I, you know, I didn't even think yeah. about that. Tell me, is, is there significance? Go ahead. And I was just glad to have a watch with a noose. And so <laughs> why is it five till one or whatever time it was? And so yeah. they were asking me, what's the significance of the time that was on the watch? I had no answer. It was just a random time. It could have been a 10 after three or something, but. So yeah, a couple people asked. I wish I, the only thing that I wish you had at noon for is because that was the time that Pitt was going to beat Penn State at Pitt Stadium, or 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 if you, or if you had it like at three oh seven p.m. because that was the time that Dan Marino just you know put the knife in Jopa's belly on the nineteen eighty three season. That that that's the only thing that would have made that better. You know what I just thought of that. The the new the the uh the trap dropped for the hanging at twelve twelve. That's when they were hanged. I should have left it at twelve twelve. I never yeah. thought of that. There was actually no reason I gave any certain time, but when it was twelve after twelve, that would have been a tw- a twelve and a two or twelve and a twelve. Oh, oh, I, listen, I mean, man, I, I don't. Paul, well, I don't I, mean to be like. I don't want to mean the triple weird, but 12 is one plus two and that's three and 12, 12 is 33. And that is, there's a lot of weird 33s in this world, brother. And uh, like, Oh my gosh, that's just, just CBG me all over again. Oh my gosh. That they got killed at 33. Holy cow. Paul, do you think there's any possibility that the wrong people were hanged for that crime because I, I mean you know the whole thing was uh circumstantial evidence and they it was all those links that really made sense you know uh, even though they didn't see a direct witness but all the circumstantial evidence really did play out but I guess there could be a chance that they did not get the right people. I mean, what could the odds possibly be that Boozer and Hauser are there the same time? They're there to kill these people the, yeah. the same time that three strangers show up and kill the people. Yeah. That's, that is, it's got to be impossible, right? That's what made me say that I don't know if I could ever find another story that was so interesting with twists and turns and weird things happening. And um, it was, a, it was a special story. It's, I mean, Paul, I got to hats off to you, man. That's, it was, this has been just an unbelievable read. I mean, I read this thing a couple of times, like I told you, I mean, I read it, I read it a long time ago when you first gave me the copy um, and then I read it again, you know, two times in, the, in about the last uh, last month. 
And I, it's just what a what a story, man! What a story! Right. Well, and, and really, really quick, Paul, is the, the thing about this story is that there's there's nationwide viral things yes. about murders and murderers and everything. They're not they're not this like this is excellent, man. This this has this has facts. This has um, human interest. You, know, you yeah, yeah, human interest. There's all these things, but the most important thing about it is that this is a person that stumbled on this story that told the story, and you weren't guided by any powers that be and you know not to say that dude tomorrow if netflix knocks on the door and says paul can we can we take this poly paul uh creative uh thing and and whatever of course give it to them and then you have uh sandra bullock is playing poly paul and you know yeah there's this that and the other thing i was thinking we're gonna have kathy bates you know (laughs) There you go. So you, you, you have Kathy Bates yeah, yeah, yeah. You have Kathy Bates Polly Paul. You have George Clooney as 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 Paul Petrunic writing the story in the background. You know, just typing away and just rubbing his brow in between talking about like how terrible um, uh, Paul Jones is as a quarterback and how good uh, you know how good uh, uh, the the Addison what was his name what Addison. Who's that receiver that transferred to USC? I know who he is. Yeah, he just got in trouble. Yeah, yeah. Oh, there you go. So how good he was at Pitt and how bad he is at USC. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? So, so you have that guy there. But the thing I'm saying about this, Paul, is that this story is, and as Andretti said before, it's authentic, it's true, and it's right to the point. And I couldn't ask for a better, like, you know, crime humentary, which is which is so in vogue right now. This thing plays out better than any, like even half fictitious story that we could have seen on television. The fact that this happened, it, it blows my mind. Not only the fact that this happened, the fact that this happened in Summerhill, yeah. where where everybody oh thinks nothing happens. It's just something else, man. And so, again, thank you for telling this story because. More people should know, and that's why we wanted you to talk about this today. Yeah, for sure. Ah, uh, great. Well, I enjoyed it. I mean, to have that to have a woman who had a tough life and had to bury a lot of her family members along the way to have her life end the way it did, and then to have a seventeen-year-old girl who was just there to learn a trade and just in the wrong place at the wrong time get just just brutally murdered by whoever the hell did it. You know, I mean, what a, just horrific. Amazing. Amazing. Well, Paul, thank you very much for doing this. I mean, it's, it's like, 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 uh, like Teddy said, this is an amazing read. You can find it on Amazon. Again, the title of the book is in time, the killing of Pauly Paul by Paul Petrunic Jr. It's on Amazon right now. You can find it. It's a, it's a, it's an incredible, concise read about some local history that a lot of people just don't know about, man. And, and it's, you know, not only am I, I'm, I'm, I'm proud to be a member of your family and have you produce this. I mean, it's really cool to see somebody in the family do something that's just significant um, and to tell a, a story that needed to be told, man. And there's nobody better that, that I know that could have pulled it off the way you did. Oh, thank you. Hey, thanks for the opportunity. I appreciate it.
Thank you very much for coming on, Paul. Like we said before, we'll we'll get um uh, we're gonna do a, a Liberty Park show part two. And I, I definitely want you to be a part of that. And in the the mongoose was kicking around an idea of doing some kind of a, a Pitt Penn State episode that we want you to be a part of too. Okay. okay, good. All right, thanks a lot. Well, we want to thank Dr. Paul Petrunik for coming on here and spending some time with us today and telling us this awesome story about his book. And want to thank uh, Teddy Mongoose, as always, for coming on here and uh, asking a lot of really great questions. And we want to always thank uh, Johnny Baker for giving us this opportunity to be on the Podski and, uh, and to do these these uh, supplemental episodes. I know he's out of town right now or else he would have probably been here uh, kind of just, you know, being another voice in the room and asking some questions too. I think he's at a concert right now, but anyway, um, you can find, you can find us on uh, social media at, at the underscore Podski P O D S K I on uh, all platforms. And we'll try to get this episode up here for you soon. And thank you for being here tonight. We really appreciate it. Check out Paul Petrunik's book on Amazon. Again, that book is called In Time, The Killing of Pauly Paul. It's available right now. It's pretty inexpensive. Check that out. It's a great read. And we'll catch you next time right here on Andretti After Dark. Yeah! I started growing hair. It grew. It grew. Stop growing. Them so fast you can't even talk about it. It was a fucking bloodbath. <laughs> it's good, huh? I almost fell to my knees and just started throwing up right there. You got lust in your eyes and in your black heart. Don't be a nudge. What kind of disgusting, despicable, despicable lack of respect. Get away from there, you, you fool! You, you stupid idiot! No, I'm telling you, expect the unexpected in the kingdom of the madness. I'll be nude come back. Nude? Meet your nightmare, yeah! I got people stopping at my house. <laughs> they're saying, they're saying, how can you go against Andretti and T3? And I said, f*** you. A blaze of glory in Los Angeles. With you, stop. I don't know. This is Stone Cold E.T., and I want to order a couple cheeseburgers, and that's the bomb, right?